I don't know if I've ever shared this illustration with you before or this particular story. I may have on one other occasion. But I read a while back that Harry S. Truman, the former president of the United States, went to a worship service while he um, was the president. And he went by himself. When he came home, his wife asked him what the minister preached about. And after a long pause, after a long pause, Harry Truman said, I believe he talked about sin. And his wife said, well, was he for it or against it? And after a long pause, Harry Truman said, I think he was against it. This morning, uh, I want to talk about sin. Now, if we had started in chapter 1, as I mentioned earlier, we would see that this chapter 1 just really lays it on the line. Paul pulls no punches. He talks about all of these various sins, and he talks about all these varying vices. And so if you were the first readers, you might can't come to the conclusion, if you, if you read chapter 1, you might come to the conclusion, hey, um, that's not my sin. That's not my sin. And uh, it's other people's sin. Did you know that Jesus himself often attacked more severely and more directly um, the sin of self-righteousness and the sin of judging more than any other sin? And I agree with uh, writer and uh, author and Bible conference leader, well-known pastor Chuck Swindoll, who says, this is the deadliest sin in the world, the sin of self-righteousness. Uh, you, you can find it anywhere. Whether you're rich or poor, educated or uneducated, Christian person or non-Christian person, you can find this attitude of self-righteousness and, and judging other people. Politicians and uh, pastors and all people, all walks of life have had this problem. Uh, I've had it. You've had it. We've all ha had it. Everybody is guilty of this particular sin. And you can find it everywhere. And uh, we've heard people say, well, you know, I'm not really um, judging other people. I'm just a fruit inspector. Ever heard that? I'm not really judging other people. I'm just a fruit inspector. But this is what the Apostle Paul dress, addresses in chapter 2. And in chapter 1 again, he talks about how all of mankind is guilty before God. And uh, it's very graphic and it's very gruesome. And again, we'll look at this next week. In the Roman culture, they had all of these things. They had all of these vices. They had all of these sins. And in our American culture, we see the same kinds of problems. But again, Paul imagined people thinking, after reading chapter 1. Now, that's not me. That's not me, because I'm not that bad of a sinner. I'm no pervert. I'm a decent, law-abiding citizen. I'm a respectable person. But truly, if we ever feel that way, Romans chapter 2 is for you, and it is for me. Because the moral, self-righteous person is just as guilty 
as the immoral person. In fact, nobody is innocent. Now, the key to this particular section is found in verse 1. And notice he mentions the word judgment. Look at it with me. You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. The word judgment he mentions there a couple of times is the Greek word chronos. chronos. And it does not mean, it does not mean to evaluate, it doesn't mean to analyze, it doesn't mean to discriminate, it doesn't mean to discern. You say, well, typically, when you mention that word, and when you think of that word, it means all those things, to judge, to discriminate, whatever it may be. But here, when the Apostle Paul had this in mind, he means literally to condemn. He says, don't judge, basically, context, by condemning another person without hearing all of the facts, without gathering all of the information. And so this is the context of what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And so this whole section, you might want to say that he talks about in chapter 2, it's set up by him mixing those words twice in the first verse, judgment. He says, do not condemn another person without knowing all the facts about that individual and, uh, and going on. Do not pass verdict, in other words. And then I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul goes on in the next few verses and he, and he, gives, uh, he gives a description of self-righteous people, people that have this kind of attitude of judging. And he gives uh, four or five of these. First of all, notice, the self-righteous person accuses others and, ex and excuses themselves. They accuse other people, but they excuse themselves at the same time. Again, look at verse 1. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on somebody else. For whatever point you judge others, you are condemning yourself. For you who pass judgment are doing the very same thing. Now, he's saying that uh, we often point the finger at every other people, but we don't look at ourselves with the same examination as we should look at ourselves because we're so busy pointing the finger and, and, and judging other people. And the common word for this is hypocrisy, which means we're inconsistent. And th really, this is the worst kind of religious pride. I've got it all together, but you don't. I've got my act together, but you don't have your act together. And these people who judge other people, particularly in chapter 1, they're really uh, blowing it in the obvious way because they are saying, I'm not so bad. All those people that you're writing about and all their sins in chapter 1... Uh, they're not so, they're, they're, they're not, uh, I'm not so bad because I don't have those gross sins in my own life. Well, number two, the second thing, the second characteristic of a self-righteous person, he says, he measures other people by the wrong standard. He measures other people by the wrong standard. Um, and uh, he says, I'm better than. And um, uh, the problem is, is that... Um, we have weaknesses, like I said, mentioned earlier, that we often don't see about ourselves. But it's really uh, easy to see the faults of other people. And many times we just don't see those faults in ourselves. And uh, we're really, we're talking again about pride. 
Um, and, and I've noticed that at the point that a person is very critical of another person, often that person themselves have that problem. Have you ever noticed that a person could be very, very critical of another person that's lazy, and the reason why is because perhaps they have that tendency themselves. Uh, and we start to judge others. Remember a number of years ago, uh, the television evangelist Jimmy Swaggart. And do you remember this well-known television evangelist, all of a sudden on his television program, he began to go off on fellow television evangelists and fellow pastors. And he would rail. I mean, he would get red in the face. I remember one time, and he was talking about uh, Jim Baker, and he was talking about those other fellows, and he got red in the face, and he was talking about these effeminate uh, television evangelists doing all this stuff. And he was doing the very same thing himself. So this is the second characteristic of a self-righteous person. He measures other people by the wrong standards. Number three, the third characteristic. He thinks that judging others puts himself in a better position. He thinks that judging others puts himself in a better position. Look at verse three with me. Look at verse three with me. So when you, a mere man, uh, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? And the answer, that's a rhetorical question, and the answer is no, absolutely not. No. Uh, and this self-righteous person, they use faulty logic here. This is how they think. Let's say that uh, I borrowed, uh, or you borrowed $20 million from a lender, and um, I borrowed $10 million from the lender. And my faulty thinking would say, well, I didn't borrow as much as you, therefore I'm not guilty of not repaying this payment back. And yet, this, and yet, that's a faulty logic because I borrow from the same person. Just because I owe uh, $10 million and you owe $20 million doesn't mean that we still don't owe a debt of indebtedness. And so he is saying, uh, do you think that you'll escape God's judgment when you have this faulty thinking about that? And the obvious answer is no. Well, the fourth characteristic of a self-righteous person is, is that he misinterprets God's blessing on his life. He misinterprets God's blessing on his life. And I want you to look at verse 4 with me now. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness and his forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended you to lead you to repentance? Now, I find it interesting because he, he, he mentions the word contempt. And a self-righteous person shows contempt. In Greek, what he's really saying is, here's, uh, here it is when we treat it lightly, when we have low regard for it, when we take it for granted. In other words, many people presume on God's goodness. You know, my life is going relatively well. I, I'm, I'm going along here. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, you know, things are, I'm, I'm doing well at my job and I'm doing well in my family, etc., etc. And the Apostle Paul is saying that many presume that it's because 
of their own goodness that God is showing kindness and patience for them. And truly, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that our goodness before God is as filthy rags. We're not saved by our goodness. We're not saved by our own righteousness. If we truly got what we deserved, we wouldn't be here. Every single one of us. And so there is a presumption on the self-righteous person that the reason why that everything's going along is because they're, they have this certain level of performance in their life. But uh, the goodness of God is shown to people out of His grace, out of His patience, out of His love for individuals, and out of His love for people. Now, this is really foundational when you think about it. When you think about the message of the Church of the Nazarene and other evangelical Christian churches, and when you think about the message that we are to share at our local church, it should be this message. God is loving. God is patient. God does not want anyone to perish. We are not called to rub uh, people's noses into their sins. We're not to condemn people. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 tells us that God loved the whole world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent His world, what? Not to condemn the world. And the message, yes, we talk about the awfulness of sin, and yes, we talk about the penalty of sin, but the message of grace and love and God's patience must be lifted up. Must be lifted up. That's the message that we are to proclaim to people. Not God's, God's condemnation, but God's love and acceptance for people. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying here, and he's reminding these individuals, the reason why you're blessed in your life is not necessarily because you're having perfect performance or because you're measuring up in, in any way. It's because of God's patience and love and kindness for you. But a self-righteous person misinterprets that, misinterprets God's blessing on their life. I want you to look at verse 5 with me. Look at it with me. But because of your stubbornness and because of your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will come. In other words, right here, the Apostle Paul is showing the results of this uh, self-righteousness. He's showing the results of this, uh, the judgment that he has upon individuals. And he, and he talks about it in verse 5. Um, and so a self-righteous person says, I'm okay, but everybody else is not. And Paul says, when you do this, when you have this kind of attitude and you don't see yourself in need of a Savior in your life, that you're storing up God's wrath, and one day the dam's going to break, and in life you can store up one of two things. This is what the Scripture says. In life you can store up one or two things. Treasures in heaven are wrath. Treasures in heaven are wrath. What are you storing up? Store up the goodness of God. Judgmentalism and the self-righteous attitude makes God angry, in other words. There's, God has wrath against this 
self-righteous person who pulls himself by his own bootstraps and judges everybody and looks down the nose of other people and don't see themselves as sinners in the need of God's grace on a constant basis. Did you know that self-righteous individuals and people uh, destroy the dignity of other people? The Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jesus' day, uh, Jesus were, was more upset with them than the adulteress. Remember that story? More upset with the Pharisees and Sadducees and the legal establishment because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious element in Jesus' day, they were very, very judgmental. And again, they destroyed the dignity of God because they were playing God. They were playing God. Paul says only God has a right to judge other people. Only God has the right to pronounce judgment on individuals. And he is saying in verse 5 that one of these days, the dam is going to break. One of these days, there is going to be an ultimate day of judgment. When is it wrong? When is it wrong to judge other people? When is it wrong to judge other people? Well, obviously, here in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Paul says it's wrong to judge other people when you practice the same sin. When you practice the same sin, it's wrong to judge other people. And number two, when it blinds you to, to our own faults, when it blinds us to our own faults, Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, and I want you to listen to what Jesus said in this particular passage of Scripture. He says, do not judge. Now that's a command. It comes right from the mouth of Jesus. Or you will be judged. In the same way you judge others, you will be judged. The measure you use will be measured back to you. In other words, if we're critical of other people, we can expect the same level of criticalness back toward our way. And Jesus goes on. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now Jesus is using Hebrew humor. And Hebrew humor was one of hyperbole and exaggeration. And Jesus is saying this. Can you imagine trying to take the speck of sawdust out of your brother's eye or sister's eye when you have a big old telephone pole out of your own eye and every time you turn around this way or that way, you're knocking people over. And so it's wrong to judge people when you practice the same sin and it's wrong to judge people when it blinds you to your own faults. And number three, it is also wrong to judge people according to John chapter 7 Verse 24, when you draw conclusions based on outward appearances. When you draw conclusions based on outward appearances. And this is what it says in that scripture. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. And I've done it and you've done it. And it happens a lot in today's world. By the way that people dress, by the way that people have tattoos all over their bodies, by the way that they have all of these skin piercings, by the, uh, the hairstyles that they have perhaps, and all of these outward appearances that we have a tendency to judge people. Well, they must be this way or they must be that way, whatever it may. And it's just an external appearance. And he says you're not to judge by drawing conclusions based on outward appearance. Remember 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Let me tell you the story. God said, my paraphrase, 
I've had it. I've had it with Saul, the king of Israel. Samuel, I want you to choose another king. I want you to go to the house of uh, Jesse. And all of these big strapping men show up. And Samuel's thinking to himself, there's the oldest son. He looks like a king. He's got this physical bearing, whatever it may be. And God spoke to Samuel. And this is what he said to him. He said in 1 Samuel 16, 7, God looks at the heart, but man looks at the outward appearance. And he went through all of those sons and he said, don't you have any more sons? Well, I've got my youngest one out in the sheep pasture someplace. Well, bring him in. And God said, that teenager went, by the, went behind the ears full of pimples. I don't know if he had pimples. But that's the one. That's the one. And he chose him not based on outward appearances. And so it's wrong when we draw conclusions based on outward appearances. Some people, they just, they just dress goofy, but it doesn't mean that they're goofy themselves. In our world, some people just look funny, but it doesn't mean that they're oddish. It just means that they just look that way. And uh, uh, so we have to be careful not to draw conclusions based upon outward appearances. Well, it's also wrong to judge another person when you condemn a person without hearing all the facts, when you condemn a person without hearing all the facts, I want you to uh, listen to John chapter 7, verse 51, same chapter that we, uh, John chapter 7, but this is a different verse, verse 51. Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? No. You've got to get all the facts first before you make some sort of judgment. I saw a news program, and maybe you saw the same program a little while ago, and it was about a man that was falsely accused and put in prison, and I believe he was in prison for 20-plus years in the Texas State Penitentiary. 20-plus years. And recent DNA evidence found the man guilty, and he, when he came out, he had a press conference, and he basically said, I was a bitter man for a number of years in prison, but all of a sudden I realized it was beyond my control and I surrendered to God and whether or not I got absconded from my charges, I knew I was innocent and I felt God's peace about it. Twenty plus years he had been falsely accused, trumped up charges, and he was found innocent. We do not condemn other people ever. And, and we've got to gather all the facts. It's wrong to condemn and to judge without hearing all the facts. Number five, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. This is what the Word of God says. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or by what you drink or with regard to religious festivals, a new moon celebration, or Sabbath day. It is wrong to judge a person's spirituality based upon observances are external observances. And we all understand that and we all realize that. There are people who worship on Saturday, right? There are people that worship on Sunday. There are people that eat meat. There are vegetarians. 
we're not to judge people based upon these, these religious type of external observances. Uh, I, there are certain parts of the country, even today I'm told, that it is frowned upon for people to play cards. There are certain parts of the church and certain parts of the country that you cannot read a newspaper on Sunday afternoon. All based upon these external religious observances. And number six, it is wrong to judge when it causes you to speak slander or against our evil against another person. Slander means to ruin someone's reputation. And I want you to listen to James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Brothers, it says, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but setting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and only one judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, there's a fine line here, admittedly. What's the fine line, Pastor Ron? There are times in Scripture that we're called to be discerning. And there are at least four times in Scripture that we're called to judge. Not with this kind of condemning attitude, but with a valuative attitude. And there's a fine line. And we understand we are to hate the sin, but what? Love the sinner. We're to hate the wrong, but love the people that are involved in it. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, this is what it says, that we are to speak positively about fellow Christians. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building each other up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I heard our recent district superintendent, our retired district superintendent, Ron Kratzer, last year at men's retreat, say, if you can't say anything positive about a person, don't say anything about them at all. And I think the scripture corroborates that. Um, number seven, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, therefore judge nothing. Now how is that possible? Nothing. Nothing. How is that possible? Well, I want you to look at the context, and I want you to see what Pastor Paul was talking about. He says, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes, and he will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness, and he will expose the motives of men's heart. Paul says it's wrong when we question people's, even their intentions, and even their motives. This is what he says in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges. Did you know the Apostle Paul continually, continually, all the way through his ministry, even in the churches that he established, even by the people he won to the Lord, they, he had individuals questioning his motives. This is what he was inferring to, that he had an ego, that he perhaps had a power struggle, that he was an empire builder. He was continually having his motives questioned. And Paul says, he says, I don't care if you judge me or not because I'm not ultimately accountable to you. Ultimately, I'm accountable to God. And this is what he says. Now, 
If you have your Bibles and you're open to Romans chapter 2, and if you want to, I'd invite you to turn over with me to Luke chapter 13. Keep your finger here at Romans chapter 2 and turn over with me to Luke chapter uh, 13, verses 10 through 17. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Luke chapter 13 and verses 10 through 17. Let me set the scene for you here. Imagine Jesus. He's in the he's in that local synagogue and he's teaching there. When all of a sudden the scripture says he saw a woman. Isn't that interesting? It's as though he zeroed in on this woman. Others perhaps had not seen her the way that Jesus had saw her. The whole context tells us that he noticed her because she had been, perhaps others had not noticed her or they had been ignoring her because she had been in this condition for 18 years. Bent over, bent over like this for 18 years. And the, the story tells us that she had been faithful to the Lord, had been seeking comfort and help at the local synagogue for 18 years. And Jesus saw her. And he said, Woman, thou art freed. And her bent over condition, she straightened up just like that. And she began to praise God for what he had done. Wonderful, miraculous. But can you believe this? The Pharisees, the religious people, said, in my paraphrase, how dare you? You have six days to heal people, but how dare you heal this woman on the Sabbath day? And Jesus said, if you have a donkey or an ox or an animal that falls in the ditch, wouldn't you pull them out, even if it was the Sabbath day? And here we have a daughter of the living God, and you are finding fault with pulling this or with healing this woman? Let me tell you something. You better be careful, and I'd better be careful, and we'd all better be careful. Because it's very, very easy to condemn. And it's very, very easy to observe the letter of the law without understanding the spirit of the law. And I'll just say this. If you do anything in your community, anything in our church, anything in your household you will receive some level of criticism. That's just the way it is. If they did it to Jesus, they're going to do it to you. But thank the Lord that Jesus did not prevent ministry from happening and he healed this woman despite 
because I knew that he, I believe he knew that he would receive some sort of criticism for doing that that day. So these are the seven ways that we're not to judge. So in the first five verses, again, the statement is, do not judge. And in verse one, he says, you therefore have no excuse. Then he goes on and he uses an opportunity uh, to talk about who does have the right to judge? Who does have the right to judge? And he says, there's only one person that has a right to judge, and that's God. And that's God. And he talks about that in verses 6 through 16. He tells us when God will judge people, and how God will judge people, and what people will be judged for. When will God judge people? Look at verse 16. Go back to Romans chapter 2, and look at verse 16. Notice, this will take place, verse 16, Romans chapter 2, this will take place on the day when God judge, judges people's secret through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Jesus is referring to what is called the day of judgment. The day of judgment. And in verse 5, it says that uh, God is storing up wrath, unfortunately, against people who feel self-righteous, who like to point their fingers at other individuals, but do not recognize that they are a continual need of God's grace and God's forgiveness. And he says in verse 5, you're storing up wrath for the day of God's wrath, the ultimate day of judgment, the ultimate day that will come. And one day, the Bible indicates, that we'll all stand before God and give an account of every word, everything that we say, everything that we do. The Bible teaches that nobody will be able to say that God isn't fair. Why? Because in verse 6 it says, God's been patient. And he's been kind. And he's been understanding. Now, how will God judge people? How does God judge people? He judges people, according to this section of Scripture, two ways. Verse 2. Now we know that God's judgment against those who just do such things is on truth. God judges people truthfully. He judges people truthfully. And there is a corollary verse found in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. And I don't have time to go over that now. And number two, God also judges impartially. He judges impartially. Look at verse 11 with me. Notice, for God does not show partiality or favoritism. God judges truthfully and impartially. How many of you remember that book and then they made a movie about it years years later and um, it starred the late Gregory Peck and the movie in the book is called To Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird. One of my favorite movies. It's so engrossing when I watched that entire movie all the way through. And Gregory Peck played this lawyer called Atticus. And he was asked to defend a black man that was accused of raping a white lady in Jim Crow era and time. And he knew that when he defended this black man that he would lose the respect of the community, if you can believe that. And the people would be prejudiced, you might want to say, against him. But he defended this man anyway. And he proved, without a shadow of doubt, you might want to say, that this black man was innocent. And yet, 
all things point to the fact that this jury of 12 of white, white made up of white people were going to find this black man guilty. God is not like that. He's not prejudiced. He can't be bought off. He knows the motives. He knows the attentions. He knows all about us. He judges truthfully. And he judges impartially. What will we be judged for, Pastor On? We're going to be judged according to our conduct, the way that we act, the way that we live, our deeds. Uh, look at verses 6 through 10. God will give each person according to what he has done. By our contact. And number two, God is going to judge us according to our conscience. Look at verses 12 through 15 with me. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will declare its righteousness. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are also law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show the requirements of law written on their hearts. In other words, they don't have an excuse. Their consciences also bear witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, at other times even defending them. Our own conscience, our own conscience by our own conscience. And then, number three, we are also going to be judged by our character, our character. Notice verse 16. This will take place when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. When he talks about secrets, he's talking about motives. He's talking about intentions of the heart. Did you ever have a teacher in grammar school, junior high or high school, tell you that uh, if you do certain things, you don't have to take the final for that class? Did you ever have a teacher like that? I did. If you do certain things, you don't have to take the big final. If you do an extra report... Or if you do really well for your test leading up to that. You ever do that, Neil? I don't know. <laughs> I gave them the opportunity. You gave them the opportunity. And if they're willing to do this extra work, or if they did really well in the test, you could, you didn't have to take the final exam. You didn't have to do that at all. I had a teacher, Mr. Neighbors, my eighth grade teacher. He was a good teacher. But you could tell he was getting ready for a retirement. And uh, this is... He just passed away this past year in his 90s. Uh, but he would, whenever he gave any type of test, if you can believe this, among 8th grade students, he would find an excuse to leave the room. And you know what those kids did when he left the room. And uh, I, I, I'm proud to say I wasn't one of them, but I was tempted, okay? I was tempted, but I knew that I shouldn't do it, and I studied for those tests. But those other kids, they're all, and they try to look over my paper, whatever it may be. And I look back on that, and I think, I wonder why he did that. I think he did that because he felt 
lazy perhaps or compassionate. I don't know. He wanted these other kids to pass or whatever it may be. But hit me back to my original statement. If you ever have a teacher that said, hey, if you do this, you don't have the final exam. There's good news here. Did you know that there's a way to skip the judgment? There's a way to skip the judgment. There's a way in which you don't have to talk about your character and about all the sins and all these things have to be revealed. And we read about this in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. And this is what we read. I saw the dead, great and small. I saw them standing before the throne and the books were opened. Notice they're plural books. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they'd done as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that was in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead. People came back to life for the judgment. And each person's was judged according to what he had done. If any name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in Hades. How do you get past the final judgment? You make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't know about you, but I don't want to face that final judgment. Because I am found wanting. By my own, if I had to judge myself, by my own righteousness. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together.